Welcome back to the Lost in Transit podcast. I am your host, Spud Groshan. My guest this week is award-winning photographer Jody McDonald. Jody has sailed around the world on a decade-long kiteboarding expedition, jumped trains in the Sahara, drove a rickshaw across Europe, and has been on many other countless adventures. Jody sees the unknown and documents it along the way. Jody has worked for the likes of Patagonia, Leica, Red Bull, BBC, and has even taken the TEDx stage. I'm incredibly excited to bring you this conversation I had with Jody. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. All right, welcome to the podcast, Jody. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so when I initially found out who you were and about some of your photos, it was oddly enough through one of those like spam articles on YouTube about your train trip through the Sahara. <laughs> That's really weird. It's it's incredibly uh, weird because it was like it was one of those uh you know, I was just started reading it and I was like, "Oh, these photos are incredible. This trip sounds like it's outstanding." And I just started digging a little more and digging a little more and I found out about um the boat journey you did and some of the other stuff that you had done. And I was just blown away. And I just, I, I think it, that had to have been two years ago, maybe now that I just, okay. I've been following you on Instagram and such. Um, but so if you could, for the listeners, could you give them a little background on your travel experience? Like what got you into it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, I'm Canadian, um, but I live in the States now. Um, but where I was born in Ottawa, Canada, and my dad worked for a Canadian telephone company called Bell Canada at the time. And they got a big contract to like set up the telephone system in Saudi Arabia. So I ended up moving to Saudi when I was two years old. And I spent my whole childhood there. And uh, one of the when you when when families move to places like the Middle East, the kind of these companies give them a lot of incentives to go. So one of the big perks we had was um, they paid for us for our, to go on vacation. So all our vacations were paid for. And my parents had never traveled anywhere, so they were like, "Oh my God, we're uh, we're taking advantage of this." So every you know school holiday or any kind of break we had. Um, we went traveling somewhere in the world and um, I ended up leaving Saudi coming, moving back to Canada when I was 15. Um, so by then I had seen a huge part of the world because of these like, you know, perks that we were getting and my, you know, my parents just taking full advantage. So, you know, that, uh, that definitely instilled in me this, you know, and, the love for travel. I mean, I think early on I got a glimpse into just like how incredible the world was. And, um, I, 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 I tell people like, it's kind of, I started dreaming about Indiana Jones because of my travels when I was young. And I was like, I just want to be an adult. Like I just want to grow up to be Indiana Jones and I want to go off to far off places and have these great adventures. And, um, yeah, so it was definitely definitely my childhood that really gave me the adventure travel bug at a really early age. And then 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, is there one one specific from your youth that like is something that sticks out mostly that might have been the the nail in the coffin, so to speak, that you were bit by the bug forever? No, I mean, I, you know, I think it was a really a, a combination of them all because my my parents, uh, interesting enough, uh, interestingly enough, um, we went to Europe, but we we traveled more to kind of like off the beaten path places. We, you know, spend a lot of time in other parts of the Middle East or um, different parts of Asia. And a lot of those memories um, in some of these just kind of more off the beaten path locations really instilled it. I think two highlights for me were that I remember vividly was uh, we did this safari in Kenya and we were just you know, staying in these tents in the middle of, you know, nowhere. And I remember hearing all the animals at night, you know, going by your tent and the tigers and the lions in the middle of the night, they would have these, um, uh, like alarms that would go off when like a leopard would come in to feed somewhere. And then I remember in the middle of the night, we'd hop in these trucks and, you know, be in the jungle at these little, you know, lookouts and watch the leopards. And actually one of those, my, when we were doing that, my brother uh, had this huge snake on his, that, that ended up crawling onto his arm while we were like watching the leopards in the dark. And yeah, we, you know, shone a flashlight on him and everybody was like freaking out. And they remember the guide saying, Oh, that's one of the most poisonous snakes in the world you're really lucky you didn't die (laughs) and um it was it was those trips I mean I loved I loved that kind of adventure and traveling and it was like those kinds of memories that really stood out to me that's that's an awesome memory I would have been petrified if I was your brother though (laughs) no he I mean he loves snakes fortunately which is why he didn't move but yeah I was thinking I was like a good thing it happened to you or else somebody else might be dead you know (laughs) yeah yeah I would have I would have lost my mind (laughs) yeah snakes scare the living daylights out of me (laughs) okay so moving back to Canada then and then you moved to the states uh how did the how did your 10-year boat journey begin yeah, so I um, I had been living in actually Vancouver, Canada, and um, I was a photography editor at this. Uh, it's a, a Canadian outdoor. It's lar- it's Canada's largest outdoor retailer. So it's it's the Canadian version of REI or Patagonia in Canada. Okay. And I was the photography editor for them, and at the time I was um, dating this um alaskan bush pilot and he was a big surfer and very adventurous guy and he would come visit me in vancouver and he was like what are you doing like office job stuff like you're you know this is sucking the soul your soul out of you you know and i was like oh yeah i know and but i also really loved the photography editing side of it um so eventually he wore me down and I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not learning anything from this job anymore. So it's probably a good idea for me to move on and do something. And he, he said, well, why don't, why don't you quit your job and we'll go on like a three month, um, kind of like just 
you know, adventure where we would travel around, live in the van and go surf and paraglide along the, the western coast of the States. And, um, you know, just just have a great time and kind of step back from everything and try to figure out my next steps. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And then on my very last day of work, uh, it was noon and I was going to actually end at around two and I got a phone call and I got a phone call saying that he had actually died in a paragliding accident that morning. Oh Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's terrible. So, yeah. And I had like given up my rent and, you know, kind of closed up shop on my life in Vancouver. You know, I quit my job and everything. And, and I was like, wow, this is, you know, this throws a wrench in the works for sure. And then, um, you know, I just decided to keep doing what we were going to plan to do. Because okay. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I felt like, you know, deciding to try to get my job back and getting my apartment back was kind of moving backwards. Like I had already moved on from that. I was prepared to move on from that life for a reason. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I just felt I had to do that. Um, and then to make a long story short, I, I was traveling around, um, doing, you know, all that stuff, just kind of camping and hiking and paragliding and surfing and stuff on the coast. And then I met somebody who just said, Hey, like I, I run these charters in the South Pacific. Do you want to come out and, you know, see what it's like. And I was like, sure, I'll give it a try. And then, um, I ended up flying out to New Zealand and hopped on, hopped on this boat. I mean, we were actually, I helped with the refit cause they were in the middle of a refit and then, um, started, started that way actually. And then I was seasick and I think, I don't know if you've ever seen my Ted talk, but I talk about one of the like the worst sailing experiences I'd ever been to and in it been in and it was so horrific and I had only been sailing for like a couple weeks when that happened so I was just like oh my god I don't know if I can do this <laughs> and um yeah just being seasick and everything and just yeah it was very very challenging and then I yeah I ended up I ended up sailing for 10 years actually and starting, um, starting a new business with it. And yeah, okay. so it, ended up, it ended up being this crazy adventure. <laughs> and it, it took you around the world twice. You said, yeah. I think I read, um, yeah. from that, you had to have gone to some, just some insanely remote places No. Well, yeah, we, we actually are. So I ended up co-creating this, company that does five-year world kiteboarding expeditions by catamaran and so it's a, essentially it takes us five years uh, to circumnavigate and we follow the trade winds uh, because that's good for kiteboarding but our we specialize in remote locations so that's that's really our specialty oh okay yeah that makes a lot more sense um so i had i did recently watch your ted talk again just to kind of hear that story about the the storm and yeah i i don't think i would have gotten back on that boat again 
Yeah, well, you know, I remember when we when I, we sailed into the harbor in Fiji, I was like, there, there's no way I'm getting on that boat. <laughs> what what had changed your mind to get back on it? You know, it's, it's really funny. Um, I just took a couple days. Like, I stayed in a hotel for a couple days mm-hmm. um, because I needed – I well, A, you need the – you need to recoup, you know, I mean, I hadn't eaten in like nine days. Um, and you know, you're not sleeping very well. And so you're just totally obliterated. And I think it's, I, I kind of associate it a lot. Like when you go through something that's really painful, like how quick, how quickly you kind of forget the pain. Um, like I, I knew, I know it's horrible and I knew it was really bad, but I think very quickly, you kind of forget just how bad it is. But, but on top of that, I felt like I just told myself, you know what, if I go home right now, I'm going to regret it. Like I'm going to regret quitting because I, I'm in love with the idea of exploration so much that I was like, I have this amazing opportunity to get to these places that most people never go to. And I probably won't get this opportunity again. So, and I, and I just felt like, you know what, if I just quit because, you know, it's been, that was the worst trip I've ever been a part of or been in, uh, then I, then I'll regret it. So I felt like I'm just going to keep going longer and see if it, like, I was like, it only has to get better from here. I mean, I felt like that was kind of like the worst case scenario almost. Did it ever, did it ever get worse or was that ultimately the worst case scenario? Yeah, I think that was the worst case scenario. Yeah. So so it was out of the way at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's not terrible at all then. No, I mean, except for, you know, I did stay seasick for pretty much for the decade, but other than that, like you learn to manage, like I learned to manage my seasickness. So I think, I think, you know, that it was tolerable. I can say. Yeah, that I mean, I guess seasick could be bad if but like you said you managed it, so that's not terrible. Yeah, I just dealt with it. So, yeah. So in that uh that 10-year trip, do any places stick out in your mind that might be a favorite? Of course. I mean, I have I have a ton of them, but uh um once some of the areas for sure uh West Papua so it's which is Indonesia, but the western side of Papua New Guinea and Papua New Guinea itself. Um, I went there on the boat two years ago, and it was one of the most amazing places I've I've ever sailed. Yeah, so Papua New Guinea, Western Papua. I actually love sailing through all the Indonesian islands. That's definitely that whole area is is a huge highlight for me. Um. And then really unexpected places, kind of like um, Scotland. That's weird. Uh, yeah, the Outer Hebrides in Scotland were, wow. I mean, I, I think we were really reticent because it was, it's, you know, very cold place to sail. And we had been always in these really tropical areas. Um, so we, you know, we ended up in the Outer Hebrides just for kind of like the change of pace and to see something different. And man, it was so magical and so beautiful in a way that I have, 
I couldn't, I never anticipated. So it was a, that was a really big surprise. Um, and then the San Blas Islands of Panama, I really, we really enjoyed those. And then when we got to like the Marshall Islands and um, Palau or Yap, um, getting way out, getting way out into Micronesia was fantastic too. It all sounds outstanding. <laughs> yeah. I like I try when I travel to kind of try and get away from things, but I don't I don't think I do anywhere near as good a job as it seems like you've done over your whole career just getting out and being in the middle of nothing. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's funny. I think I mean, I really love it. I really love kind of being in the middle of nowhere. And there's such a, I think an unexpected beauty in those places. Um, that makes me really excited to go to more places like that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not, it's just natural beauty. I think that draws us back to places that are empty. Yeah. Like the Sahara is a great example. Um, when I did that trip on the train, Oh man, I just, like I grew up in Saudi, so I was around desert, but but not like that. I mean, I just I was like, this is so desolate. But there, if you, it kind of like forces you to pay attention to the details around you. And when you start doing that, you're like, wow, this. I mean, this place, it's amazing. You know, like you, there's so much going on in a place where you think there's not much going on. Mm -hmm. You know, and I love that that unexpected side of it. The majority of my life, I always thought the desert and things was just like exactly that drab and boring kind of brown. And now that I'm starting to turn a new leaf and starting to kind of want to adventure and see more of the desert. And it's, yeah, after seeing that, those photos and reading about that trip, I was like, I was pretty stunned. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had a ton of people contact me and they're like, I'm going to Mauritania. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's oh, funny. What uh what was the catalyst for jumping the train in Mauritania? Like how how did that come about? Well, I actually had a friend of mine do it in like the early two thousands. Okay. And he like he filmed it on this like crappy old I think crappy old camera and he showed me the video and I was like, Oh my god. I am doing that, you know, and, um, and then I got this offer, then like a camera company contacted me and they said, Oh, we're coming out with this all weather camera and we'd love, we'd love for you to take it somewhere and just kind of, you know, put it through its paces, like somewhere that's really challenging and, you know, yeah. and take pictures of it and see how it does. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I, I, I mean, I pitched them a few ideas, but the train idea has always kind of been in the back of my mind. And I was like, Oh, this is a, this is a great kind of adventure to take, to take that camera on. Awesome. And, um, yeah, so that's how that all came about. But yeah, it was really, it was a really a friend who had done it, who, uh, it just, yeah, it was, was immediate. Was the inspiration. My... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Love it. Okay. So I noticed through your Instagram stories and stuff, you kind of, keep everybody up to date on like your travels and what you're doing. 
So I distinctly remember following along while you were in India, uh, traveling by rickshaw. Yeah, last year I did the length of India in an auto rickshaw. So, so I am curious: was this was this the like the the adventurous rickshaw rally thing, or was this just on your own? It was the adventurous thing. It was like that was my vacation. That that was your vacation. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff I like to do for my vacations. I don't I don't like like going to the beach and hanging out at a resort or anything. That's incredible. How was how was it traveling through India on the rickshaw? I've 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 looked into all basically all of their trips, but I've never actually pulled the trigger on one yet. Yeah. Um well, I mean, I would I would love to do it again, but I would love to do it on my own um uh, rather rather than it be like a race, even though, even though the rate, I mean, the, the, it was, I mean, it was a fantastic experience, you know? I mean, if, it, if, if those kinds of races is what gets you to have those adventures, then, then that's great. I think. Um, and then the really great thing about the adventurous is that they're, they're all about not having any rules. I mean, I remember when we, when we left, they, all they said to us was like, don't go into Pakistan, like don't cross the border into Pakistan. And then, um, because where you, where you would likely enter into Pakistan, they're like, there's a lot of terrorist, um, activity going on. So don't go there. And then they literally just said, there's no other rules. If you come in first, you're an asshole. You don't, <laughs> you, don't you don't, you don't get the point of this race. So don't do that. Don't be that guy who wants to come in first. Um, he says, well, and they say, like, really, the winners are the people who come in last. And I agree with that 100%. And because they're, they're having the most fun, for sure. And then they just said, like, even if you get, your, even if your rickshaw gets totaled and run over, you still have to get it to the finish line. So they're like, you still have to put it on a flatbed truck or do something to get it there. And I was like, oh, I like these guys. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's been something I've followed for, I think, since I took my first solo trip in, like, the, the late 2000s. And I've, I've watched them, like, change varieties of trips and this and that. And I, this one has always been the one that I kind of was like, oh, that's got to be something I can find somebody to do. Oh, you could for sure. I mean, actually, a couple of my teammates, they couldn't make it last minute. And I... I I just put out on Facebook. I was like, uh, "Hey, I'm taking a rickshaw across India. Who like I'm leaving next week, or who wants to come with me?" And I always think that's a great, a great gauge of who your really great friends are. Like, because the you know, I think the spontaneous, <laughs> spontaneous people are really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I got two teammates and we just went. But I I just threw it out on on Facebook and you know one of the people who came with me I I had met once um paragliding in Africa so I didn't really know her very well um and it worked out great and then my other one ended up being an old assistant of mine and he's fantastic so I ended up working it really good that's um, amazing but I think it, I think if you throw it on social media you really don't have a hard time finding Somebody should, to do it. You shouldn't have a hard time finding people <laughs> and jump on that. So do I do I remember correctly seeing you guys trying to get the rickshaw on a train? Yeah, that that was 
That was amazing. Uh, that was the highlight of the trip, actually. <laughs> what made it the highlight? It was it was the very definition to me of why India is so amazing. I mean, they have so many rules, but all at the same time, anything is possible. So like, a great example is we get pulled over. We got pulled over once because we were riding our rickshaw on the highway and they're not, you know, some highways, they don't allow them. Sure. And we got pulled over and the, the cops were like, you can't do this. We're going to give you a ticket. And you kind of learn, you kind of learn along the way how like India works. And we just say, well, we don't want a ticket. And they'd be like, okay, <laughs> like, okay, no problem. We won't give you a ticket. <laughs> and then they just let you go. And they just let us go. <laughs> but the train, the train thing was amazing because we, we got to the train station in Mumbai, and I just assumed that you would be able to get a rickshaw on a train in India. And I, I don't actually know why I assumed that, but I did. And then we got to the train station in Mumbai, and just getting to the train station in Mumbai on a rickshaw is insane. Uh, it's like the heaviest traffic I've ever been in. Okay. It was there was so much traffic in some intersections that I was like, I don't even know how this could ever let up, you know, oh, like, yeah. like so many people and cars in such a small space. You're like, nobody has anywhere to go. But I don't know. Somehow, somehow it works. But anyway, we got to the train station and then um, we started asking around and they're like, no, you you can't put a rickshaw on the train. And we're like, really? Like, there's no, like, storage areas on the back of the train? And, and they're like, yeah, there is, but, like, a rickshaw won't work. You can't put a rickshaw on there. And we were like, oh, man. And then, like, we talked to somebody said, when we talked to somebody, they, they said, oh, well, you should go talk to this manager. Like, in India, they love to kind of pass you off. Sure. Um, to somebody who might know more, which is, which is great. So, you know, they just, but they'll go talk to this person. We'd go talk to that person and they'd say, Oh, we'll go talk to this person. Anyway, we ended up, uh, getting access to the head of the railway system for all of India. And I, and I don't even know how that happened, but they, we ended up like walking into the office and we're we're waiting there and this like gorgeous woman walks in and and she was like the head of the railway system and she's she's like really highly educated spoke like impeccable english and we just sat down with her and she's like oh you know hi well, why are you guys here and i and so we just explained like we're in this rickshaw race and we're trying to we're trying to get into Rajasthan and we would love to, you know, put the rickshaw on the train and this is why. And, and she, we were showing her photos and she just thought it was the funniest thing. Like she just thought it was hilarious. So she's like, okay, well, we'll see if we can work. <laughs> and as soon as she gave us permission, it was like the seas parted and so we got escorted with the rickshaw through in the middle of the train station <laughs> and everybody, everybody was just standing and watching us. And, um, 
and then and then it, it was so funny because I just assumed that these guys knew the measurements of the the holes like of the doorways yeah. into the into the train cars and I thought like they would know if it would fit or not but they didn't it turned out that they didn't actually know so we were waiting for the train waiting for the train and we only had um you know like a pretty small window to try to get it on the train and the train the manager of the train station in Mumbai he was like he was relatively new and he was really nervous because he had never done this before and he didn't want to fail at his job yet he you know he had orders from you know the head you know top brass and it was like oh my god I have to make this work somehow, but I'm not sure if it's going to. And he was super stressed out. And then when the train showed up and he, he we got all this help to try to get it on. And I, I'm sure you've seen the Instagram videos, but like it turned out that they wouldn't even fit in the hole. <laughs> and then we had, and then we had the, the rickshaw like half hanging on in the car and half hanging off. And then like the, the bell, the, the, the train horns going, like it's getting ready to go. And we were like, well, you can't like the train can't leave. Cause the rickshaw is half hanging off the back of the train, you know? And anyway, yeah. so he starts like panicking and they start deflating the tires to see if it'll fit. And then, then they just took a crowbar and started crowbarring off the wheel wells and the manager turned to me and he's like, do you want to take your rickshaw off the train? And I'm like, well, if it's not going to fit, I'll take it off. Like you, the train's about to leave, you know? And I'm like, this is your call. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is totally up to you. But, um, anyway, as we were having that conversation, I was fully getting ready to say, no, it's not going to work, you know? um, pull it off. And like, as I was uttering those words, the guys ended up pushing it onto the train. And I was like, well, uh, never mind, <laughs> you know? And then we had to run like half a mile to get onto the train car to get into our, our cabin to, um, yeah, to get it. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was insane. And then getting, then we got worried about getting to the end destination and trying to get it off the train because they told us we only had a five minute window at that train station. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, it was this, it was this huge, crazy adventure. I mean, and, and it was such a highlight. Like we, we really did something that like everybody had said they've never seen ever happen at an Indian, you know, on the Indian trains train system. I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> There's a first time for everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a ton of fun. Yeah, I remember taking the train in India and just even with just the people, it seemed like it was a stressful situation. I can't imagine what it's like trying to shove a rickshaw on and then getting to where you're supposed to be seated. Oh yeah, that that was a whole other experience in itself. And then we ended up, you know, arguing with this Indian family who had like fifty bags with them like about who, because you get assigned, like we were assigned sleeping beds, you know, yep. and they, and they claimed to be assigned to them. And then, so yeah, we, when we got on, we ended up, you know, getting in this whole other, uh, have, you know, having this whole other experience, but yeah, it was all part of it. I mean, it was all fantastic. 
And then where where did you get off the train? We just, uh, so what we were trying to do is we had come up, we had come up from Co- Cochin, so the very south. Mm-hmm. And so we had, I mean, I don't, I had been over a week. Um, and we had, we had experienced highway driving um, on some sections and it was absolutely horrible. So they would have these like speed bumps every hundred feet on these highways that were going like these major highways that you'd be on for hours, but you could never pick up any speed because of these speed bumps. And they were filled with these massive diesel trucks. So it was like super hot and you would be like stuck it with all these, you know, diesel smelling trucks and not moving very fast. And I had messaged a bunch of people on social media and I had said, you know, is there anything north of Mumbai between Mumbai and Rajasthan that's worth seeing that's off the beaten path so that we, we could like go, we could not take the highways, you know, that we could go around and maybe have some cool adventures, side adventures on the way into Rajasthan. And everybody who messaged me back said, no, there's like, that's a stretch where there's nothing really going on that you're going to have to take the highway. And, and so we were like, no way. I don't like, I don't want to go. I think it was like 300 miles or something. I was like, I don't want to do that on, on the highway. You know, we've already experienced that. It's horrible. I was like, let's try to get it on the train, you know, and there was no rules to the race. Yeah. So you, I was like, let's just see if we can get on the train. Cause then we can just sleep overnight and then we can wake up and we really wanted to experience Rajasthan cause Rajasthan is amazing. And so we just decided, well, let's just take the train from Mumbai to the very border of Rajasthan, get off and then keep driving so that we can, yeah, just really get to have adventures in Rajasthan. And so that, you know, that's what we did. Um, but if the train thing didn't work out, that would have been a really big bummer because we kind of had gone way out of our way to Mumbai to try to make the train thing work. Yeah. And I I would assume even just with the traffic and stuff in Mumbai, it would have been a pretty hefty delay. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, we, we ended up, uh, we were traveling with another rickshaw for a little bit and we had told them, Hey, you know, do you want to come with us to try to get the, the rickshaws on the train? In Mumbai, and they're like, "No way, we're not going into Mumbai. <laughs> we don't want to drive. We don't want to drive into Mumbai." Um, but uh, they didn't also think it would work, and so we got we got lucky. Yeah, that sounds so awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's a fantastic race though because you're mostly on your own, like in terms of the other race people. Like you hardly ever see anybody because everybody's kind of taken off doing their own thing. But then, you know, some you could be in some remote area and then all of a sudden you see one of the other rickshaws and you're like, hey, <laughs> <You know? laughs> sharing sharing stories is crazy. I mean, you get invited into Indian weddings and you know people love you. Like the Indians love love seeing these foreigners right you know driving their own rickshaws and so it attracts a ton of attention and people invite you into their house and yeah it's it's fantastic 
Yeah, I uh, when I was in Calcutta, I was just walking by and poked my head in a door, and actually got pulled into an Indian wedding. Yeah, was it not? It must have been amazing. I'm sure. Oh, it was outstanding, but we felt so incredibly awkward because it was just kind of like the groom was stoked to have the two of us there, and then everybody else was like, "What?" Yeah, well, I think a lot of times, like as a as a foreigner in, a, in an Indian wedding, you're kind of treated like a celebrity. You know, they're so, they're so excited to have Westerners there that you end up getting almost more attention than the bride and groom. <laughs> it's really funny. It's it's pretty outstanding. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've just got, like, random questions, a couple that I want to throw by you. Sure. So I've read somewhere that you try and obviously stay away from touristy areas. Um, how do you manage to kind of get away when you go someplace new that's not necessarily touristy or kind of kind of just out to what seems like the middle of nowhere yeah i mean you know i think it's combination things i think you know always rule number one is never look at a lonely planet book um (laughs) uh but you know I, i i usually do a fair amount of research um, when I'm in an area, cause I'm usually working or doing a project and, um, yeah. So like, I think research helps a lot because it, it kind of gives you a starting place, um, of what you're working on and, and those and the stories I'm generally working on aren't in tourist areas at all. So that, I mean, I think that that makes it quite easy. Um, and then, and then once you just start spending time somewhere, you learn really quickly where, you know, where it's really touristy or where it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess this kind of goes back to the rickshaw thing. Um, other than say that, for example, how, how do you, when you're not working, how do you spend your time? Do you, tr- you travel? Do you stay in Idaho? Do you? Yeah. I mean, for me now, it's funny. I think when you travel so much and you travel a lot for work, um, I, a lot of my vacation is when I'm home, you know, for me, that's for me now, that's pretty much my vacation or I do something like, you know, the rickshaw thing across India. That's, um, you know, if I, if I want to take some time off and have fun, I like to do stuff like that, um, or stay home. So it's, yeah, one of those two things home is a vacation yeah yeah i understand that i uh for my career i work in the music industry and travel tour with bands and i actually have the word vacation tattooed on my knuckles because i was because i'd had a really bad tour and i was going home and we were just all exhausted and i bored in the back of a bus writing on my hands and wrote vacation one day and i was like oh my god it's perfect my vacation from my work is home. Yeah. Yeah. But now, but now it's like, I don't spend much time at home. I try and travel as much as I can, even when I'm not working. Oh, good. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I have a tendency of not, uh, of not planning. Yeah. I mean, me neither. I'm, I'm, I think I learned through sailing that the planning in a lot of ways is a huge waste of time and it kind of, and, and then it creates a certain expectation and that's where I think then you end up getting disappointed. I think it's much better to be open to different possibilities 
and be open to the unexpected. And then you're, you seem to always be pleasantly surprised um, and end up having, you know, this, this great trip or experience as a result. You know, I think when people like plan a ton, it's like, well, A, things don't go according to plan. And if you hope they do, then you're going to be spending a lot of your time being disappointed. Yeah, I yeah, I've had that experience actually before being disappointed with traveling with people. It's like it's very odd to watch somebody get upset cuz something in a foreign country that they've never been like they don't speak the language, they don't know what's going on, they get upset because something didn't go their way. Right, right. Um okay, so another one of these random questions I have is uh in the in the day and age where everybody is mindful of the earth and the humans impact on it. Um, what are some things that you think travelers could do to help reduce their impact on the earth? Well, I mean, I think that's hard because the very nature of travel is, is greatly impactful. Um, you know, I mean, I just, in general, I mean, that single use plastic is a big deal for me because, uh, you know, sailing, I saw so much of it in the oceans and I'm, I'm really disturbed by the single use plastic issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, in, I always just, you know, always have, to tr- I try to have a refillable water bottle, uh, anywhere that that's doable. There's a lot of places like India, for example, that you just can't do that because you can't get you know, fresh water sources to refill the bottle. You need to be buying new bottles, but in in countries I can, I I do that a lot. Um, You know, I'm just always trying to not buy plastic or plastic use plastic bags. But I mean, I think um, in terms of, you know, you, you know, you can do research on um, the places you're staying or some of the places you're staying. And if they're, you know, if they're, kind of doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing for their community environmentally um, is great to support, you know, those companies or, or yeah, I mean, hotel chains that are not even a chain, but any kind of um, accommodation place that's, that's conscious of that. Um, and then, you know, I just think respect's a huge thing. Um just trying to just trying not to be an asshole and do and do things that you wouldn't do at home or disrespect, you know, just throwing garbage around. I mean, you know, I don't, it's a really tough thing though. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think there's any like one great solution for it for sure. Okay. So then here's just the last of my random nonsense questions uh do you have a travel philosophy oh my god i I mean i i think my i mean going back to what we were speaking to earlier i think a, a big part of my philosophy is is being open to the unexpected and being able to adapt and change plans or you know on a whim I think, I think that's so important to like have more, um, valuable, meaningful and, and, and really enjoyable travel experiences. 
and try and try really hard not to have preconceived notions of of um, maybe your own cultural belief system. Like try try not to impart that onto somewhere else. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that part is hard for a lot of Westerners. It's so hard, but um, I think it's really important to try. Oh, it's absolutely. It's really hard when you all you know all you know is what you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think if you can just stop and say, well, hey, you know, they do it differently here, and and maybe and that doesn't mean it's bad or good. Uh, what you know, let's let's kind of be curious about this, and let's see why they do things this way. You know, I think it, I think curiosity goes a long way instead of judgment, um, and just kind of being and being open to those differences and trying not to judge them because they're different than your own. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually uh, so a, f- a handful of podcasts ago, I had reached out to a bunch of people and like, and I had messaged uh, Amy Vitali. Yeah, yeah, and, and like. Hers was basically curiosity. That was it. I don't know. And I was like, that is the best of all of them. Everybody, you know, it's shorts and a camera and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And hers was just like, be curious. Yeah. Mine, mine's curiosity and toilet paper because, you know, I've had enough parasites and um, dysentery to, to, you know, <laughs> if I'm like, there's so many times where I've like, oh my God, I need toilet paper. <laughs> like, and so now I just don't go anywhere without it. So if you, I always think if you've got curiosity and toilet paper, you're pretty, you're doing pretty good. That's, that's like the name of a George Carlin book or something. <laughs> Actually, you're right. That'd be a great book. I mean, it's <laughs> so funny. Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, well, I'm going to wind this down and I just want to uh I just want to ask if you have anything any final words for the listeners that any advice or anything towards travel. I mean again, I think it goes back to a lot we were just talking to if you can, you know, just try to be respectful of differences and and have curiosity and try not to overplan your vacations. And, and, and I would also say, you know, when, when things aren't necessarily maybe going the way you want them to, or, um, things are going bad that to try to shift your perspective and, and see like the benefit of that scenario, because I often, I often believe when it gets bad, it really is just starting to get good. If, if that makes sense. So yeah, it does. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. That would be- um, and then if you could tell everybody where they can follow along on your adventures and so on and so forth. Yeah. So the, the main one would be my Instagram account at Jody McDonald photo. Uh, my website as well. Uh, Jody McDonald photography.com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter sometimes. And my Facebook's Jody McDonald Photography, and my Twitter is Jody Photo. Jody, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was it was fun chatting with you. So, what did you think? That was my conversation with Jody McDonald. 
Again, I'd like to thank Jody for being a guest on the show. I would like to thank all of you for listening. If you feel so inclined to get in touch, you can find us on social media at Lost in Transit PC on Facebook and Twitter. Lost in Transit Podcast on Instagram. You can also email me with any comments, questions, concerns, complaints. Lost in Transit PC at gmail.com. That has been our podcast for this week. And until next time, get lost. Mm-hmm.